the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to the Sleeper in the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris. And today we'll be discussing the debut that is actually going on right now, another top pitching prospect and an oldie starting pitcher, but still goodie. And that actually is supposed to end in a question mark. That was a question, oldie but goodie, just like, I am Ron Burgundy? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you're actually at the ballpark right now. You're at AT&T, right? I am. I am. I just uh, actually talked to Marco Scudero, who's going to be in the lineup tonight. And uh, his finger is all taped up, and I can't believe he can play baseball with it. But uh, he's going to grit on through it. Well, I think I and many other rotographers, including, I think, David Weirs has a man crush on Andrew Kashner. I think we all want you to speak to Andrew Kashner and find out what happened to his slider? Where is that velocity? Why isn't it inducing swinging strikes? Is there any nice way of actually asking questions like that? Yeah, I, I end up asking a lot of questions that are that are hard. I, I, if you end if you end a question with talk about, um, seems like that's that's okay. Like you can say, you know, we looked at your slider and we noticed this and this and this. And uh, why don't you just talk about the development your slider has taken over the last couple of years? <laughs> I guess that's a nice way. And not, why does your slider suck now? <laughs> Where did all those strikeouts go? Yeah. <laughs> Should I drop you in my fantasy league? But unfortunately, I couldn't talk to him today because you're not allowed to talk to the pitcher who is pitching that day. It's oh, uh, one of the unwritten rules in the, in the clubhouse. That makes sense. All right, well, let's start on the most interesting player alive today. And that's Dylan G, which actually surprised me because, I mean, you usually don't get guys like a Dylan G at the top of the most search for list. It's, it's usually Miguel Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera, and then some nights it's Miguel Cabrera. So it's nice to see Miguel Cabrera not being the most searched for player in a while. And it's Dylan G. Exciting. So uh, he's coming it goes, up. It's a really far away from Miguel Cabrera to Dylan G. Yeah, tell me about it. So, I mean, he's actually coming off of uh, a very good start, and uh, he's been having a very good month of June, actually. His ERA is at 162 for the month after two ERAs of over five in both April and May. So he, he's also been dealing with flexor tendonitis, and, and it just bothers me. Every year you always get guys who are struggling, and then you find out, oh, they've been playing injured. Well, why don't you tell us that you've been playing injured and not play? How about that? Doesn't sound that sound like a good idea, so or at least tell us so that we know to stay away. Yeah, seriously. I mean, you, you'd rather hurt your team than just go on the DL. I don't get it, but I don't know if he's healthy or not. His velocity is still down, but his results have been a lot better, especially if you look at his xFIP as well. He's been good even in May. So, is he a guy who should continue to provide value in twelve-team mixed leagues the rest of the way? Well, I, I think the main. I think XFIP is, really, XFIP is a really interesting stat for you to mention because I think the main um, – oh, how do I put this? The, I think that he's – one of these guys is going to look better by XFIP than he is in real life. 
And the reason I say this is he has an 88-mile-an-hour fastball that he likes to throw up in the zone. And, and, and take a look at his heat maps, actually, on Fangraphs, because he likes to throw it up in the zone. And an 88-mile-an-hour fastball at the letters, it better be exactly where you want it to be, or that's a gopher ball. So I think this is I think G is the kind of guy that has good control, has a great changeup, has a terrible fastball, and will always give up home runs. Yeah, and that terrible fastball is even worse this year. Last year, at least, it averaged 90 miles an hour, but now it's back down to 89, and it hasn't improved at all, all season. So whether it's uh, the result of that injury that he mentioned or the fact that last year was maybe just a fluke, because before that, I mean, in 2010, he was at 89 also. So you wonder, and if he can't get that fastball back up, he might continue to struggle with the long ball. I mean, it's slightly inflated that home run per fly ball rate in a pitcher's park. So he might be somebody who underperforms his uh, ex-fip and his, his Sierra for the rest of the way. Well, you know, 89 is just barely good enough. I mean, we, we saw some research that suggested that about 87, 88 is the, the line of demarcation between a fastball that won't work at all and a fastball that can can do some business. So, um, I mean... You know, it probably looks 88 after after his changeup might look fast, especially if it's up with the eyes and the changeup was down at the knees. So, I mean, he's got some ways to get around it, but I, I do think that every once in a while someone's just going to turn on that 88 mile an hour fastball on the letters. Uh, you know, he hasn't shown the ground ball rate that he usually shows, um, and I think that's partly because of his flexor uh, his flexor issues. So, I he's really a guy that I I only like in matchups even in the deeper leagues if i can if it's a daily league and it's a 16 team or something and i can put him on my bench and throw him in there when he's in miami and that sort of deal then i'll own him yeah and his 89 mile an hour fastball leading to an inflated home run per fly ball rate kind of reminds me of dan Heron, who i've been way too stubborn about and still own him in all of my leagues and dan Heron has shown like over the course of his career at least that he has the command to, you know, he can succeed with lower velocity, but uh, not yeah, this I, year. That, yeah, not this. Year. <laughs> I mean, but you know, Dan Heron is also pitching through injuries. I'm sure. I'm sure he's pitching through injuries. I mean, he hasn't. Maybe he hasn't come out and said it, but you know, two teams or more than two teams, many teams looked at his at his um, at his medicals and, and didn't like what they saw. And you know, he was available for anybody to take. Uh, so. He has a hip problem and he has a back problem, and you don't know which one is hurting him. Yeah, well, I've been too stubborn to drop him, and I don't know what it's going to take. I think it's going to take him telling everybody that I'm injured, drop me in all my fantasy leagues, but I don't know. Anyway, let's move along to uh, yet another big top prospect call-up, and that's Zach Wheeler, who's actually making his debut as we speak. So far... One and two-thirds innings, two walks, three strikeouts, and a hit. Seems like exactly what we might expect. I mean, in the minors, he wasn't exactly uh, the great example of a strong control, like a Dan Heron pinpoint control, but he probably is going to be a pretty darn good strikeout pitcher. Yeah, two walks already. Um, I read a, a recent account by uh, Mark Hewlett on, on the uh, front of the site, too, that suggested that that it, his, that the concerns about his command, uh, they're not just concerns about control, they're also concerns about command, that he 
didn't always have full command of all his pitches. So, you know, uh, I'll be turning that on in just a second myself. But, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely already walking, guys. Yeah, and he also uh, pitched in Las Vegas this year, which is terrible conditions for pitchers. So, I mean, the fact that he posted a 393 ERA isn't so bad when you consider the uh, the home park factor there. Uh, I mean, is he going to be somebody that has value in 12-team mixed leagues, or is he going to be another streamer guy? You know, with, with these guys that come up, I, I almost always say that they're, they're ownable um, in 12 teams because based on their upside, because, you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to get a, I'm going to pick them up or I'm going to drop an established guy, maybe a, a Heron who's established, but also hurting, I think, um, you know, maybe I'd drop a Heron for him, but, uh, I wouldn't drop a, a more established guy. Um, I'm, I'm struggling to think of, of a name, but, uh, you know, I, I would drop guys that were fringe in order to, to get a shot at, um, uh, just Wheeler's upside. So I, I know that it hasn't worked for every young pitcher this year, but I, I do think that those guys are worth rostering just in case it does work out and that you've got a couple lotto tickets a year and you might as well give them a shot. Yeah, and, and he's the type of guy where he, there's so much hype that if he gets off to a good start, then you can try to sell him high. There's always a prospect lover in your league that's going to believe in the hot starts. And, and we've had guys in the past... Uh, even this year, Jose Fernandez, who have continued to succeed despite them being a rookie. So there might be somebody in your league who, who believes that if Zach Wheeler gets off to a really good start, that he'll continue to be a, a top-flight starter. And uh, it, it's worth taking the shot on picking him up, although he's probably owned in all leagues now already. But if not, it might be worth it just for the fact that if he gets off to a good start, you can sell him high, and, and he's got more upside than a, a lot of other guys, obviously. But this leads to another interesting question. And is there anything we can do to actually identify Jose Fernandez versus Kevin Gaussman, for example? I mean, when you project rookie pitchers, you can look at their minor league stats, you can read scouting reports, but how can we possibly determine who will succeed right away, like Jose Fernandez, Versus who's going to struggle like Kevin Gaussman? I mean, is this even possible? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I would just say look for good pitchers and, and look for look for certain things that have led to success in the past, which is, you know, look for more than um, look for more than two pitches. Uh, hello, Shelby Miller, two-pitch guy. And yet uh, he's succeeding. So. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Look for, look for command. Uh, well, Kevin Gaussman had like a like almost like a zero walk rate in the minor leagues. Um, look for velocity because, uh, you know, Mike Fires had some really nice numbers in the minor leagues, but he has like an 87-mile-an-hour fastball. So, look, look, I want velocity. I want three pitches. I want strikeout. I want everything because even if you have everything, you don't succeed. So what I would say is I want everything before um, I pick him up. So I'm a little bit less excited about Wheeler because he has an asterisk. Uh, but other guys have succeeded in the past with the same asterisk. And, um, you know, I, I feel like it's just something that you got to keep, you got to keep hitting your head on that, on that, uh, on that wall because old pitchers are just, they're, they're getting busy dying, you know, and they're just, their, their velocity is going down. They're, more, they're less likely to get it back. Their backs are hurting. Their ligaments are going. I just, I, I think it, you're almost less likely at this point in the season, particularly 
to get a bounce back from a veteran than you are to get uh, an infusion of talent from a young guy. I still can't get over the fact that Jose Fernandez jumped from high A-ball and he's performing the way he has. It's just unbelievable to me how young he is, how inexperienced he is, and yet he's been awesome this year. Yeah, I mean, and and there, you know, it's not all perfect, and he and he didn't even come up all perfect. But uh, uh, I just, you know, when I watched him, he checked those boxes that I was looking for. I mean, people talked about his changeup being inconsistent, but as a third pitch, it looked great to me. Uh, he had that great velocity, and I think he has great command. Uh, definitely showed great control numbers, and great walk rates. So. He checked all the boxes. I went aggressive in on him uh, to begin with. I got him in uh, tout in a, in a couple other places by uh, bidding bidding large. And uh, you know, it's been hard for me to sell him because everyone thinks is everyone thinking about the IP limit um, and and wondering if he can really keep it up. But sometimes you just bank the the great run you get out of a, out of a young pitcher and you move on. Doesn't mean that I'm going to rate him as an ace next year either. Yeah, and the interesting thing is you mentioned velocity. I think that is very important because we've seen a lot of prospects get called up with really good strikeout numbers and numbers on the minors. Do you remember Kirk Sarlos? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was a guy who had great numbers where the stat heads would be like, oh, he's going to be really good. And the scouts are like, um, he throws in like the upper 80s. He's probably getting by with command and like breaking balls and stuff. And He also had a funky delivery, didn't he? Uh, I don't remember, but that would make sense, a, a deceptive delivery. All of these things can you can get by and, and look really good in the minors, but if you're throwing in the high 80s, then it just is not going to translate into the majors. And, and that brings us to Gaussman, because Gaussman uh, averaged 95 miles an hour, and, and yet he was terrible. But if we look at the peripherals, I mean, his peripherals were actually fine. His ex-fip was 376, his CR was 4, but he just got killed in every single luck metric, 351 BABIP, 25% homer per fly ball ratio, 63% left on base rate. So, I mean, we don't really know if it's just a matter of bad luck and he just didn't get enough of a leash to see his luck uh, get back to normal or if it's just going back to what I said about Corey Kluber, maybe he just isn't major league material and we don't know that. Of course, Corey Kluber is proving that, oh, he is indeed major league material and his luck finally did uh, neutralize, but maybe Gossman just wasn't ready, and and his bad bit was showing that he just wasn't throwing it. Uh, you know, maybe he just couldn't command it within the strike zone. I mean, his line drive rate against was nearly 28 percent. So clearly, hitters were teeing off on him. Yeah, there's something going on there. I think there is something to be learned from Gossman. Um, one thing that I would think of is that uh, he's not old. I mean, he's 22, but he's not. Uh, he wasn't a high school guy. So when he dominated in a ball. Um, you know, he was he was older than some of those guys. And when he was doing so well in double A, he wasn't necessarily older, but he wasn't young. So uh, age at level is something you should definitely think about. Um, and then you have to sometimes look at parks. And I wonder, actually, if, um, you know, with the walk rate that he had in the minor leagues, uh, Gossman walked fewer than 3% of the batters he saw. And I wonder, actually, if uh, a line like Wheeler's where there is actually a flaw or there are some walks, um, particularly when it comes to control, might might be a little bit more interesting, um, at least when it comes to a debut and, and a freshman year, because um, you know that Gossman 
he won't walk a guy. And so he's he's not giving up base runners. And so his success in the minor leagues at least somewhat depends on control. Um, and you know that that's not the case for Wheeler. So uh, I think it's hard to get by in the major leagues if your only skill is control. Uh, and so some guys, like maybe a Sarlos, I forget exactly what his deal was, um, but there are some guys who come up who are just basically all control in the minor leagues, and that means that they've got great minor league numbers, but it doesn't mean that they're going to succeed in the major leagues. So, yeah. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Think about it, please. Yeah. Uh, one other name to throw out here is Garrett Cole, who's made two starts so far. He's only struck out three batters in 12 innings, and his strikeout rate was actually down this year at AAA. But this guy's averaging 96 miles an hour with his fastball. So you wonder why he only struck out 47 batters in 68 innings in the minors this year and how he's only struck out three in 12 innings. But I guess it just goes to show that you need more than just a fastball. And no matter how hard you throw, uh, a major league baseball player is going to catch up with the fastball and you have to throw more than just that fastball, which again, gets, then goes to Tony Singrani, who basically who threw over 80% fastballs oh. and he only threw like 92, 93. And yet he had a really good strikeout rate. So basically this is making me throw up my arms and say, this is an absolute crapshoot with rookie pitchers. Yeah. And the main thing that I would say is probably true of all pitching uh, and definitely with rookie pitching is quantity. And you know what? I actually, what I've been thinking about is diversity. And, um, you know, I want, I want to build staffs. My staffs this year, in, I've been, I'm doing pretty well in a lot of my leagues. And uh, in those leagues, a lot of them are young, but they're not all young. And so what I think that the best uh, staffs are diverse. You have a couple old guys that are established and that if they pitch to their regular career line are going to be good. You have a couple young guys that, that could turn it on. You have a couple interesting, quirky guys. You, you have a big fastball guy. You know, you just... Just hit all of the different boxes. Of course, you might get unlucky and you might get the wrong side of all of those different decisions. But I think that a sort of diverse attack uh, at pitching that also is about quantity. I think that most rosters, even if you don't spend uh, as much on pitching, your rosters should be mostly made up of pitching. If, in terms of bench spots, I want those to be 80% pitching. Um, and I, want, I just want your, your rosters to be full of pitchers. All right, let's talk about another rookie, but this time a hitter, and we're going to circle back to Jerickson Profar, which obviously we've talked about him before, but Jerickson Profar left fielder now, and uh, Kinsler's back from the DL, and now the Rangers are talking about getting him some time in left field and making him a a utility guy. Tonight, he's actually playing shortstop with uh, Elvis Andrews getting a breather, so is he going to actually get enough at-bats to be worth starting in weekly transaction leagues? I mean, I, I, I assume here David Murphy is the one that's going to lose the most playing time if Profar is going to get that left field playing time. Well, you know, the guy playing first base right now, Jeff Baker, in the past, I think he's hurt first Yeah, he's, he was placed on DL, actually. Oh, well then, I don't know. Maybe they'll put Murphy at first. It'd be kind of, it would be really weird to see Profar at first, but... Uh, uh, maybe they'll uh, they'll put Murphy at first and put him out in left field. Um, there's enough there's enough to go around. Even when Baker's healthy, Baker's a, a best against lefties, which leaves a lot of opening against righties. Um, Murphy, you know, probably should be sat against lefties. So there's that, there's that playing time. Uh, Kinsler is old and needs time off. 
Uh, Beltry hurts himself every once in a while. Cruz hurts himself. He's older. So it's an old team uh, with a lot of different places where Propar can help. Uh, I'm definitely not dropping him in 12-team mixtures, especially since he has that uh, at least second base eligibility and probably uh, both middle infield positions. Uh, and he might be adding more to it. So I think he's he's proving himself that he might be one of those perfect head-to-head bench guys. If you're only going to have one bench guy in your head-to-head league, you want him to play all over the place and, and play in Texas and, you know. So I think that uh, he's definitely going to have his uses still. I can't pencil him in for more than 80% until uh, they make a big move like Kinsler first base or Kinsler to left field or something like that. Yeah, it's tough because I actually just checked their lineup tonight. Lance Berkman is playing first base, and I don't think they're going to want Lance Berkman to be their everyday first baseman. But with Moreland on the DL, Jeff Baker on the DL, who does play first base every day? Am I I missing a player here, or is Lance Berkman just going to be their first baseman going forward until they get healthy? Looks like it's Burke. Well, that makes it interesting because, I mean, you haven't read anything about Kinsler – uh, I mean, was he playing first base at all in spring training, or they were just talking about potentially doing that? I think it's mostly the outsiders uh, suggesting that uh, for the Rangers rather than um, – I think it's mostly the outsiders suggesting that for the Rangers than it is anybody hearing that from the Rangers. So um, another thing I wouldn't bank on until you see it happen. But, you know, it is interesting that Profar is up and participating and helping and – that the Rangers are getting value out of him that isn't, you know, in a trade or whatever. Uh, and they're keeping this, you know, I, some part of me is like, God, he's a, he's a shortstop. He's a, he's a good defensive shortstop. He should be playing shortstop. What is going on? But some part of me should also be like, you know, they're, they're doing what they need to do as a team and they're going to succeed because they've got depth. And part of that is pro far. So, um, I, you know, like I said, I think he's ownable. Uh, and long-term, uh, we'll see where he ends up. Yeah, and the fact that Berkman is playing for a space, that opens up the DH spot where they can rotate around players and maybe Profar gets a chance to hit there. So right now, given their injuries, and, uh, I mean, David Murphy right now looks like the exact same hitter he's always been. He's just been hurt by a low BABIP. And to think that they would just give up on him and he would see his playing time cut for Profar in left field, I mean, that would surprise me just because it's a BABIP thing. And... And his batting ball profile looks fine, so that should increase. So Murphy should well, he's, be fine. He's never been good against lefties. So no, of course. It's at least a one-third uh, playing time situation there. And, you know, Baker, even against lefties, is a bit of a marginal player. He's been doing well this year. But, you know, I think if everyone was healthy, there could be a situation where Profar plays maybe in left field against lefties and um, spells Kinsler and Beltry and moves them to DH every once in a while and, um, you know, gets maybe 50%, 60% of the at-bats of a regular player. Yeah, I mean, once everybody comes back, once Moreland is back uh, and Baker, well, they don't really need Baker if Moreland comes back, but so, I think it's going to be a lot tougher for Profar to find at-bats. It's not like he's hitting that great. I mean, his Woba is 320, which I guess is probably average for a second baseman, but... It's not like he's hit his way to, to stay up. So when they get healthier, I think it'll be tougher for him to stay up unless he, he gets hot. 
I mean, if he's not really hitting and not doing a whole lot, he might get sent down when Moreland does come back. Yeah, and he's got options, so they're gonna they're gonna play this one out the long way. They're gonna do basically what the Cardinals do to prospects, which is totally kill their debut value <laughs> and uh, make it really hard to own. I and I would actually say this is a word of caution for Oscar Tavares owners because. I mean, uh, they're talking now about Matt Adams, you know, playing every day next year. But if Matt Adams plays every day next year, then Alan Craig is an outfielder. And if John Jay is still, you know, in their good graces, Oscar Tavares still doesn't have a place to play. So uh, that's, you know, the Cardinals, the Rangers, these great teams when they have great prospects. uh, There should be a little bit of devaluing in in terms of uh, their fantasy value, especially early on, just because they're not going to play that much. All right, let's move along to Colorado, where my introductory question, talking about oldie but goodie, is relating to Roy Oswalt, who's back, and Oswalt is what? He's 35 right now, and he's coming back to Colorado, which is obviously not a good place to play. Last year with Texas, he had a 580 ERA, but his peripherals were really good. He actually struck out a batter an inning with dazzling control. He had a... 317 Sierra, so it was really a 378 BABIP, uh, a sky-high home run per fly ball rate. It looked like bad luck all over, and his velocity was fine. I mean, all of his, his pitch mix, everything looked fine, but now he's going to call Coors Field home. So, is- and I think I think really it's the same issue. I mean, it, it, you know, some of the some some of that BABIP is Texas. And some of that, some of the new problems he's going to have are, are going to be Colorado. Yeah, and you know, I, I read about his fastball topping it at 94. So it sounds like velocity-wise, he's fine. So it's just a matter of figuring out: Do we want a guy in our fantasy team who pitches half his games at Coors Field and who's 35 years old? And I, I would say, I mean, away games, I think he could be worth it. Yeah, for sure. I like him uh, on deep teams with deep benches as a sort of um, guy you roster uh, but spot start. I I do like him in that way. Um, I mean, the funny thing is that you said he's 35, and some people will say, oh, my God, he's so old. Some people will say, oh, my God, that's so much younger than I thought he was. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's just been around forever. I think the thing is that he people said he would kind of break down early because of his body type and it, i think they were they were shown to be right uh, he's just not he doesn't have the same lasting power and he might end up in the bullpen or whatever but the rockies need pitching and so it's a good move for them and i think it's it's probably something that fantasy players should treat about the same as a real life team if you really need pitching and you have the ability to take sort of swingman type guy then then oswald is interesting to you so, you know, how much are you bidding on him in our Tout Wars League? Ah. Oh, see? See what I did there? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, you're going to use that against me. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't need pitching at all in that league. Oh, and you know what? Speaking of which, I'm going to go on a little tangent. I, I hate this on Roto site because you probably have no idea that I made another trade uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, actually, it was yesterday. I made another trade. And they don't get announced, and you can't even find it unless you, like, search. So I actually traded Patrick Corbin and Nick Franklin for Madison Bumgarner. And, and that was a pretty big trade, and I don't think anybody knew about that. What you, would you trade? I just said I traded Patrick Corbin and Nick Franklin for Madison Bumgarner. Oh, you know, I saw that somewhere. I got an email. I, I have the, the email alerts on. Oh, yeah, I, like I that just trade. know they send email alerts when a trade gets made. 
I mean, I, in a deep in a deeper league like this, I think uh, depth trades make a lot more sense. And you know, I would have taken the uh, Franklin side just because my team needs help everywhere. But if you're if you're lucky enough to be doing well in a elite team like this, then you want to be on the other side. Yeah, it's funny because I can see both sides. I can see some people thinking that I got the the way better end on this, the ones who really don't like Corbin. But, I mean, I owned Corbin. I owned Nick Franklin. And given that it's an OBP league, Franklin is decent. And I don't think it was a a, a trade that I, I, I won greatly. But I had the depth. I did not need Franklin because I had my MIs coming back from injury. And uh, so basically to me, I, I upgraded from Corbin to Bumgarner. And I just feared that the regression in Corbin was going to happen swiftly. And I just didn't want to own him when that happened. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that anymore, though. I mean, uh, Corbin, to me, strikes me as, like, Miley. Like, he's just going to have a great season. And, you know, you ne- the regression, you don't know when the regression is going to come. might come next year. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like Corbin. I think I'll be solid all year. Uh, but I, I just had no use for Franklin. And, uh, obviously, Bumgarner should be better than Fra- uh, than Corbin. And so I was happy with the trade. But let's get back to Oswald. So Oswald... I probably will, actually, uh, bid on Oswald because um, I've... I've got Nick Depeche starting for me. Oof. Um, and uh, and Felix Dubron. And I've been waiting for Brandon Beachy and Colby Lewis all my life. Uh, and Kevin Gossman and, and Jose Fernandez have uh, only done what they could. So uh, my my cheap my cheap staff anchored by Felix Hernandez and Doug Fister is just falling apart in the back. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably bid some money on Oswald. I'm, I'm curious to see if you'll have any competition. I have a feeling that you won't, given the fact that he's in Colorado and coming off of a year that he posted a 580 ERA. So I feel like you'll probably only have to bid. Well, you'll probably bid more than this just because of the way Tal Wars does the bidding, the Vickery method. But I feel like you won't have to spend more than a couple of bucks on him to actually win him. And I probably use him in a, a home away platoon with Jared Parker, where Jared Parker only pitches at home and Roy Oswald only pitches at home. Yeah, and the thing that makes it tough in Tower Wars is our bench is so freaking small. Four man bench, that's tough. I have I have eight, nine, ten, eleven people on my bench. Oh, because you have the all injured team, right? You know, it's funny, because I had some injured guys like Chad Billingsley and Gavin Floyd that I was just holding on. I'm like, all right, there's no reason to drop them. Then I'm like, you know what? I can't keep looking at your names. You're clogging up my bench. I'm just going to drop you. I think I'm going to do that with Jaime Garcia pretty soon. (laughs) Is Jaime Garcia definitely out for the year? I have no idea, but I mean, between Jaime Garcia, Brandon Beachy, and Colby Lewis, Ryan Madsen, Sergio Santos, Ryan Braun, Ryan Ludwig. Uh, Sergio Santos. I mean, even when he comes back, he's just going to be a middle reliever. And so. I keep waiting for Casey Jansen to fall apart. (laughs) Oh, God. He'll be waiting for a while. I don't know. I just. uh, The 90, you know, 89 mile an hour closer is. uh, I just don't believe in it. Well. Start to believe because he keeps on doing it. All right, let's move along to – we haven't done a bull and bear in a while, and I like playing these sound bites because we f- sound all high-tech. And so today we are going to do our bull and bear with the guy that you wrote about this morning. That is Mike Leak. So this is the bull. The bull. We are going to – we're having technical difficulties. There it is. I'm going to play it again because I interrupted it. 
That is our bull. Worth it. And our bear. Roar. That is some scary sounds. All right. So you are bullish, and that is your optimistic, positive, all of those other synonyms on Mike Leake. So why why are you bullish on Mike Leake? Do you, you think he's he's really worth using in a 12-team mixed league? Actually, you know, I didn't necessarily tackle this in the piece today, but uh, I thought it actually made me think of a philosophical thing. So you've got, and someone asked me right away in the comments. Well, so we got everything on this podcast tonight. We haven't even have some philosophy. Well, check this out. So someone asked me, I wrote this piece about why I like Mike Leake. And basically what I'm saying is that everything that he's doing right now, he can do. He's done it before. There's no luck uh, number that's way out of whack. None of his velocity, pitching mix. Everything is basically right where it would be normally, except that it's a little bit better. So he's basically, you know, has a, is basically showing the second best strikeout rate of his career and the best walk rate of his career and the best ground ball rate of his career. But none of them are like, way out there they're all just like barely better than normal and um you know while i think that his current like 2.6 era is not sustainable i do think that a, a mid threes era and back-end usefulness is, is still in order but someone asked me right away in the comments rick porcello or or um or porcello or however you say it uh rick porcello or or mike leake and i think that's a really interesting uh sort of philosophical question do you want the guy that is doing just barely better, basically looks within his means. He's just doing everything a little bit better than normal. Or do you want the guy, but nothing has really changed. Or do you want the guy that has changed something and that you can put your hat on and say, oh, Rick Portello changed his curveball. It's a new curveball. And so therefore, he's a new pitcher and I, and I have to look at him differently. Do you want, but, but you know, his curveball could go back to being a crappy curveball pretty easily. I want a new guy. You want the new guy? I do. Interesting. And uh, I think you also mentioned AL versus NL. And when you're comparing these two specific pitchers, it's very close because both have good offenses. All the Tigers' offense is probably better than the Reds' offense. But Porcello, obviously, in the AL versus Leak in the NL, you want the NL guy. But I think Porcello just has better strikeout rate upside, which is funny to say because both of these guys haven't exactly been big strikeout guys. But I think Porcello's change recently – is backed up by an explanation, and that strikeout rate, I think, makes him slightly more exciting from a fantasy perspective than Leak. And what I see from Leak is the exact same pitcher he's always been. I mean, if you look at 2011, his ex-fip, his Sierra, all like the exact same is where it sits right now. The only difference between his seasons is luck. And right now, he's stranding more base runners than he ever has before, and an unsustainable rate, and that's not going to continue. He's not going to keep stranding 82% of runners. So even though his Sierra and his XFIP suggest that he's actually a decent pitcher, that strikeout rate is just not that special, and uh, a high three ERA with a six strikeout rate is just not really something... I mean, maybe he's worth a buck in a 12-team mixed league, but that's basically streamer material to me. Well, uh, yeah, I guess an 84%... Uh, left on base percentage strand rate is not sustainable. But last year uh, you had, let's see here, uh, like 20 pitchers that were over 76%. 
you had uh, 15 pitchers that were over 78%. So, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, he has to regress back to 70, you know, this year. Um, and, uh, you know, I think mostly the, the change that I found was in the home run rate. Um, and I think today you could say he's been unlucky with the home runs. So, uh, you know, I think in the future uh, he's just going to give up a, a little bit fewer home runs. Uh, and we're shaving. We keep shaving the uh, the ice cream, the, shaving the ice here with uh, with guys. I I do think that a guy with a mid three ZRA and six strikeouts per nine is useful. But you know, we're we're talking about some mythical league, and we have to really talk about. It. We're talking about twelve team leagues, twelve fifty innings cap. Then I'd probably pitch him away from home. Yeah, the interesting thing about the home run rate is he's a type of guy where previously he's consistently posted inflated home run per fly ball rates. And, and some of that could be blamed on the ballpark. Some of that, some might say that maybe he just doesn't have good command within the strike zone or something and he just is prone to the long ball for whatever reason. And then all of a sudden this year, it's below the league average and all that goes down the toilet. And you wonder, oh, did he change something? Or were all those years bad luck? And, I mean, this happens with a lot of pitchers who, although it's ingrained in us to think these things are luck, sometimes people say that, oh, it's not luck. This guy is just good at preventing home runs. And then suddenly they have that year. They're like, oh, wait, maybe I was wrong. Yep, let's assume that it's regression to the mean and it really is luck. And this seems to happen all the time with Babbitt as well when people do it for a couple of years and, and you think maybe it's not luck after all. And then they're back to normal. It's like, oh, you're right. They're not the outlier, and it's very rare to find an outlier. Um, and so if he can continue to just post league average home number fly ball rates, then he can post a, a, a sub-4 ERA, which he's had trouble doing in the past, and he could be better than he has in the past. Yeah, I mean, I just – even with a boost from a home park, his uh, career home run for fly ball rate is like 14%. Um you know, does he have a bad enough fastball to meet for that to be the case? I don't know. Maybe in the past where he was kind of closer to 88 than 90. But, you know, he has bumped his velocity up a little bit to 90. So, um, you know, I, also his slider's not a good pitcher and he's pitch and he stopped using it. So it's not that he hasn't changed anything. Um, you know, he's definitely changed his pitching mix a little bit. Uh, also, he's basically almost stopped using the four-seamer totally, like completely. And he's all all sinker, but a guy with a uh, you know a fifty percent ground ball rate, a couple decent pitches, great control. I don't see why that guy should have a fourteen percent home run for fly ball rate. All right, the last guy that I want to talk about, and this is this is strange because I can guarantee you that nothing has been written or talked about this guy in a while. And that's Charlie Morton. And there's really one reason why I want to talk about him. I mean, he's coming back from Tommy John surgery. He's actually pitching tonight against Matt Latos. But he is throwing in the mid-90s. And that always gets me excited when I see a guy whose velocity spikes significantly. Because usually that could mean that the strikeouts are going to jump. And his first two starts, he's averaged 93 according to the uh, Baseball Info Solutions. And then the uh, the pitch FX data actually has his fastball at 94. And that hasn't exactly translated to strikeouts. Uh, in the minors, during his rehab, he didn't strike out a lot of batters. But his first start, he struck out five and five innings. His swinging strike rate, 
So here's a guy I think could be a real deep sleeper, and he's coming off of TJ, so his control might not be that great, and he's struggled with his control in the past, but I'm, in, I'm intrigued. Are you? Yes, um, and, and I have and actually just, just today noticed um, on Twitter uh, my Pirates follows are actually all talking about him and calling his stuff electric, so that's interesting. Another thing that's interesting, though, is, is that uh, he had almost a 93-mile-an-hour uh, fastball in 2010 with the Pirates, and or was it, yeah, 2010, and he had a six, six and two-thirds strikeouts per nine or a 16% strikeout rate. And since then, he's become more of a ground ball pitcher. So I do think that he's not necessarily going to give the strikeouts. But if he can have a 60% uh, ground ball rate, then he can definitely be a deep leaguer. Um, just because that's that's like a Derek Lowe, you know, in his prime kind of situation. Uh, and there were years where Derek Lowe was definitely usable. And you forgot the best part about his 2010 season. He also had a 757 ERA. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that was the best part. <laughs> I know. I was waiting for you to be like, oh, besides that strikeout rate, right? his ERA was 757. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, ERA, ERA. Yeah. He's, it's funny because his career ERA is 504. And do you remember a couple of years ago, he actually had that really good luck-aided start where ta- people were talking about how his delivery was like Ray Halliday and blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, his the luck pendulum swung the other way and then – Maybe it was 2011. His ERA was 383. So that may have been the year when he started off really, really hot and then he slowed down. But his final season stats were still decent just because of that really hot start. I Uh, mean, to be fair to people that wrote those things, his delivery does look a little bit like Roy Halladay. And he did change it. And he did say that he kind of wanted to be Roy Halladay. So, I mean, everybody wants to be Roy Halladay. But, um, you know, I think there's there was something there. And... uh, yeah, some of it was just a hot start, but uh, you know, for the year he had a 3.83 ERA. Eh, I don't know. Again, he also had a 1.53 WHIP. The problem is that he doesn't have good control, and he's coming back from Tommy John, so that that's not very exciting. But uh, no. if he can, if he can, uh, if he can show some good control and throw 93, I mean, I I just picked him up in a league right now while we was talking. Yeah, and why can't he be like Justin Masterson? Uh, I mean, now he's got the velocity like Masterson, and Masterson also doesn't have great control, but he has a good enough strikeout rate and a great ground ball rate, and I think that's what Charlie Morton's upside could be. Well, I think I've gotten my Deep League waiver Wire article for tomorrow, so I'm all set. <laughs> and I got my ninth starter in my 20-team uh, 45-man roster oh, league. Oh, gosh. So. <laughs> Wait, was that the league that you showed me in Phoenix and you were targeting Brandon Maurer or you owned him or something? Was that score sheet yeah. or something? Yeah, yeah. I dropped Steve Johnson for Charlie Morton, so you just that's that's what kind of league I'm in. Steve Johnson. It's, you know your league is deep when Steve Johnson is on a roster. <laughs> that's the man that does it for me. All right, well, that is a wrap for tonight. So join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.